a ton of things to catch up on from the weekend and Monday. And here we go back on Monday part two, which is Tuesday <laughs> to us. Uh, yeah. It just doesn't wear off. It's the way that it used to. Anyway, uh, things have uh, been interesting in the world. The Bill Street Music Festival has come and gone. Great reports from all that went. My wife and Sid uh, both had positive comments about the park and about the artists. Would you care to explain your experience in a summarized version? I can't take too much of it. Go ahead. It was, you can take plenty of plant. I will post some videos. No, but okay. it was great. great. He he was great. We saw Gary Clark Jr. too. Uh, the park looks really good. Lots of trees and plants, more than I thought, but it's it's hilly and it's, there are trails and pathways and steps and a big playground. Uh, I don't. In, anyway, it looks great. It's narrower, but they've opened up the riverside again. So you know, for years there was a fence along the river, and then I yeah. guess the the uh, golf carts would trek people back and forth on the other side to be out of the way. But it's open now, there, so you can walk along the, you know, along the river with no oh, fence wow. in the way. Yes, it was yes. partly there too to keep idiots from maybe trying to hop in for a swim. Well, maybe they want people to do that now because they just suck. But they anyway, want to thin we, the herd by killing people going to yeah. the rock show. That's a good idea. We, we saw zero people who sucked. Everybody was mellow and and it sounded great. It's kind of like food row in between the stages. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, they'll keep some kind of lawn where the stages, you know, would normally be, so you can throw the frisbee because there are a lot of trees in the way. But it looks, it does. It looks really good. What it looks you, really good, and uh, the sound was great. So, so as far as how much they've already done to this. And put in landscaping and put in all these things. Was there any, because you saw this on uh, Sunday night, so was there any sign of things being uh, torn up or people being rowdy and stupid? No, not at all. I mean, we saw, you know, a potato chip bag in a bush, but nobody, and they had kind of temporary fencing, maybe temporary, and then you could tell the fencing that uh, looked nice, though, that's going to be permanent, But and just, you know, some signs, you know, please, uh, whatever, you know, keep off the plants or whatever not it didn't say that but no i mean usually i mean most people there were recycling bins everywhere for your for your cans so uh no i there was no except for cans standing there where you're standing watching robert plant there were people did not seem to litter either that or people were going around like crazy cleaning it up right away but it was not littered much and he sounded great he played battle of evermore when the levee breaks, rock and roll in the mood, and then some of the some of their stuff as a you know, some of their songs. It was excellent. Very good. So that uh, has come and gone, and after all that it took to get this done, which is a long, long story that um, was very complex and uh, involved politics and going back and forth, and how much Memphis and May would pay for insurance to in, to uh, well to insure. Mm-hmm. That if somebody had you know torn the place up, they would be liable for that. I'm not sure what price they arrived at, but I'm hoping that with all of this today being you know loaded out yesterday and today, that um, the damage left behind is minimal, because that will do a lot I think towards what happens next year, because there were mm-hmm. many concerns about all this work and this park being torn up, and that ain't cool, and you can't blame the folks who have built this. And Memphis and May has been in that spot for so many years it's good to see it back after four years and hopefully uh, i didn't see any bad stories about anything anywhere me neither so i guess good. that there were there were a hundred cops down there in various places in the park and on beale street and all the places so congratulations to everybody who succeeded like memphis and may and our good friends there and everybody had a good time on that note uh, wes has this story too as you uh, as you uh, see and hear uh, around town on various billboards and on television, there are a lot of concerts coming to this town. It seems like there's a brand new one every day. It's from Graceland's Place to um, in uh, South Haven down here at the Snowden Grove Amphitheater and other places. And the story says that a demand for concerts is soaring. Budgets are getting bigger. You bet they are. And tour dates are piling up as America heads into an expensive summer of live events. They're going to cost you a lot of money. Um, and this is, well, no surprise, I guess. The demand, the, uh, demand for live shows after three years of uh, pandemic hell has come roaring back. 
and shows are bigger and infused with more tech than ever. Uh, I saw one little quote maybe on this thing about how every every song in some of these concerts, there are costume changes and theatrics and all of this stuff that is likely unnecessary, but it depends upon who the band is. Right. The Wall Street Journal dubbed 2023 the year of the $1,000 concert ticket. Okay. Event attendance was up 24% last year compared with 2019, says Live Nation, the parent company of Ticketmaster, those criminals. And they expect uh, this year to outpace 2022. Spending on food, drinks, and merch at Live Nation shows was up 10% uh, last year compared with, well, because it because everything, they got to make up the money. So everything costs more. How much was a beer down there in uh, Bill Seven, Street? I think seven. He was buying. That is, that is not a control. No. Uh, it was a the big, big name artists are thinking bigger. It's almost, here's that quote, like a different Broadway show for each song, says Dave oh, Brooks from Billboard. Yeah. Uh, he's referring here to Taylor Swift's and her elaborate show, which has a rocket sled, stunts, and numerous costume changes. I doubt that, that Mr. Plant changed clothes uh, at all. Those trends uh, com- <laughs> are coupled with Supply chain woes and inflation are driving up the concert ticket price. Uh, overall, they're uh, they're up 10% from pre-pandemic times, which doesn't sound too bad. The average resale price is where it gets stupid, mm-hmm. and it goes up uh, substantially depending upon the show. Uh, the big budget shows might not be sustainable, says somebody from somewhere as the job market cools down. And economy uh, is uncertain. Uh, fans that are willing to shell out hundreds of dollars for a seat, this might get a little bit tiresome. Did I miss anything in that story, Wes? And just uh, a couple of numbers. The Live Nation people put out their re- results for the first quarter of 2023. And they say revenue is up by 73%, which is to say <laughs> $3.1 billion for this quarter. No Which has more than to be the ticket price oh, cost, right? Yeah, yeah. More than ninety million gig tickets have been bought, and they expect to manage six hundred million uh, through the rest of the year. And says, yeah, people are spending money to get the tickets. They're spending money to get the extra stuffs, the premium seats, and whatever else comes in those big packages. And say they are optimistic that they will sell even more tickets. There's a note here at the end of the story, though, that says despite the upturn in the number of people attending shows, this has had the, the pandemic had a lasting of impact on the cost of running live events, and a number of bands have pulled the plug on tours due to skyrocketing fuel and travel costs. We've heard about that. Yeah, the Who has, for sure, because they can't afford to do it. And the comment from Daltrey was that it would take them doing six or seven shows before they made a penny. Right. Uh, so that yeah. doesn't those those numbers just don't add up. Okay, well, so and there are there are more shows coming, and it's it's only you know, the, the first part of May, so we have a long summer of shows around the country and in this area. So save up yeah. your bucks because this is not going to be cheap for anybody. Let's see what else was there. The um, for fans of television and movies and all of that, the news now. Wes has a story or a headline. Contrary to what mine says, uh, the writer's strike began last week. What that means is that late night TV is off. The shows are all reruns. The daytime soaps are the next to go. And the Writers Guild of America and uh, the bosses, are they, they remain far apart. Some say this could go three months, perhaps uh, delaying the fall TV season, there really is no fall TV season uh, because they roll out new stuff every month of every season, and it might affect the Emmys. What a disaster that would be, not really. So that's going on, and then you can uh, turn to the next story that next week the Directors Guild meets, and they want more money, and so if they shut down, writers and directors are what drive the machine. If the writers aren't there, well, they can't do it, do anything. But the the directors are as as important as anything else. So, yeah. Um, yeah. If both of these are out for a long time, 
this is not a not a good not a good thing for late night TV, which is lightly watched anyway these days. And soap operas, we still can't figure out who watches that stuff. What did your story say that gave you optimism? Uh, mine I, is the best signs from the writers' strike picket line. Okay. So oh, signs. Yes, signs. the physical oh, signs like words that they're on poster board. Okay. <laughs> right. Like Hello. no scripts for you is uh, one of these. <laughs> it's a slideshow, so I'm going to be. Here's a wild pitch. Pay us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stop being mean. This has changed since I first saw it. Scripts written example. by AI are too fun. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's see. Talk about a cold open. This is a writer's block. Uh, do you really want me acting again? Is being held uh, by someone in a Larry Sander hat. Right versus wrong. And WGA versus secession characters is this one. So someone else says, I'd rather be taking notes. Huh. Someone drew a picture from the uh, uh, that Legally Blonde movie, that main character with the quote, you're a CEO, what, like it's hard? <laughs> <laughs> someone yeah, else has... Yeah, go ahead. AI, someone has, AI wrote the sign, and the is crossed out with a this, because yeah, that's a mistake AI would make. Right. <laughs> yeah. Someone okay. reminds Paramount that there wouldn't be a Paramount studio without writers. And then there's, please don't make me mo have to move back to Ohio. This is one <laughs> striker. There's one story that I did see about late night television. And I, I know that um, at some point, um, Letterman's show, back in the 2000s, they had 17 different writers on staff that wrote that show every day. 17 people. Now, how many there are for Fallon and for Kimmel and for Colbert, I don't know. But it's a pretty big room full of people. And Jimmy Fallon uh, has said, well, the people that went out, I guess that this week and next, the network, NBC, will pay their salaries. And uh, Fallon stepped up and will pay the third week himself of their salaries. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but this goes on for three or four months. Um Let's just hope that all these services, Netflix, HBO Max, Apple Plus, and so on, have things in the can to release. Mm -hmm. They've been putting out a ton of stuff the past month, so maybe they have um, they saw this coming and have stored some things to release in the process. Over the weekend, Guardians of the Galaxy, it's these kind of movies, powerful opening. It turns the marble page, dethrones Super Mario in a big way. <laughs> this film made $114 million Friday through Sunday. Uh, the Mario Boys, anybody who saw it, saw it and bailed. $18 million. And beyond that, it's Evil Dead Rise, $5 million. Are you there, God? It's me. Margaret is a controversial film. It's on Netflix already, I think. Really? Uh, or, or it's on someplace. Well, no, no, wait a minute. I'm thinking about something else, maybe. Oh, Either okay. way, nobody saw it, so who cares? Um, and so that was... So the, all these films, they yeah. had these things shot months in advance. So there shouldn't be any any shortage of films being released, right? I mean, they've got oh, yeah. tons of things put out. But by the time we even... you know, The first trailer comes out, the film is... is the writing part of the film and the directing part is done. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I'm guess now the directors hang around, I guess, for post, but uh, but the writing part is all done. And yeah, Guardians got uh, some of my money this weekend too, and they are and? The, uh, really good. And go see it if you like this kind of rollicking space adventure at all. I can I go into more detail on my podcast show on Friday, Geeks Grading Geekdom. Cool. Anything rollicking gets my money. I'm <laughs> sure so it I'm, does. I, I am there, dude. Okay. Well, anything Chris Pratt, I'm there. So. He's yeah, I guess. Okay. Uh, <laughs> did anybody in this room, in our rooms, watch any part of the coronation? Oh, yeah. I woke up sat uh, Saturday morning, and my wife had been up for a couple of hours already watching it and having just the best time. It, it put her in a great mood. Just these shots of people uh, in the crowds often with their, some with inflatable crowns, with kids on their shoulders and flags waving and so forth. You just said, everyone seemed to be in a really, really 
you know, happy, happy mood, which, you know, lifted her spirits and made her feel... We're all drunk just, by well, then. And <laughs> yeah, probably. Being paid Picnic to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But then we, we went back and watched uh, parts of it that had been recorded and fast-forwarded through many sections of it. And sometimes it was interesting to see the steps and the procedures that they go through on this and wondering how how parts had changed over the past thousand years of doing this. Yeah. And... Uh, how things were, what things were new and introduced and that sort of thing. And there's one point where we would, we couldn't help but, you know, make comments sometimes. And there's this one point where Prince William leans in close as his dad is on the, on the chair over the rock that they got from Scotland. And he puts this long scarf-like thing, the drape over his shoulders. And then he comes back a moment later and is adjusting something. It looks like he says something in his ear. And I wanted to know what, what did he say right there? And we were thinking about things like uh, looking good, Pa. And my wife goes, me next. I was going to say, <laughs> then, uh, enjoy this now, old man, because I'm right behind you. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I had to ratchet it up one more by thinking William said, don't get comfy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't take this. Well, I don't know. I got up at 7 Saturday morning to do, to do yard work, and I... I, it was on for a minute, and I just couldn't take the. I I, I don't know. I I just didn't find any any glamour. It's a it's a it's a fun thing if you're British. It is so many years of uh, tradition and and history. I just have uh, there. There's just some kind of what's the word? Not cloud. I I I just don't like uh, Charles as a man for for what he did to. Uh, to Diana, he was a cheating, adultering uh, piece of shit from way back, and uh, I think it was unusual that his second wife Camilla was adorned in a crown too. I think mm. I mean the a queen consort usually doesn't get that kind of treatment, uh, but the queen before she died said that she could be the queen consort. Mm-hmm. Well, after she's gone, Charles says, "No, she's the queen." Right. Okay, yeah. so it just, it just looked to me unseemly, and maybe because well, I I don't know I just once once you know Queen E passed on after after seventy years there are a number of people uh, Brits among them that wonder if this entire thing has gone on too long do we need this you know, monarchy I guess they do I don't know uh, but boy Prince Harry blew this thing open in his book. However, he also does a section about Camilla. And they knew what was going on as they grew up and that, uh, that, that their father had been a cheater with her since he married their, 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 their mom. And then he was an accomplice in her being killed. So I, that's what kind of taints it for me. Um, but it is what it is. And, but they, both the boys liked her. And they were very kind to her and apologetic about things that, 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 that had gone on. And the boys had one request of their father many years ago. Don't marry her and we'll be okay. Well, that didn't, <laughs> well, no, nope. that didn't go. Yeah. So now she's um, the queen and her step and, and their, their stepmother. Um, where exactly? I saw one story about where Harry was seated and his part in the procession. What did you see about that or see on the screen? I, I had to look for him in those moments that we were watching the uh, camera coverage inside uh, Westminster. He looked like he was about two rows and a, maybe one seat to the right as we looked at it behind William. So Megan wasn't there, Sid, but there was somebody no, in but- an outfit or what? An imposter? <laughs> It's so it's such a weird picture. I'm I'm gonna have to, well maybe I'll post it somewhere because so people if people haven't seen it because this person looks it looks like a wig anyway the the conspiracy theory was that she was there in disguise and it's this it looks like this man with I don't know oh, like wire rimmed glasses on that are kind okay. of tinted a big kind of unkempt white mustache and long hair down over his ears. And he was sitting next to Andrew Lloyd Webber and people are like, don't come on, come on, Megan, you're not fooling us. And it was all over Twitter, I guess. (laughs) 
And it's it was this it was actually the guest was actually Sir Carl Jenkins, a renowned Welsh composer whose music was included in the King's Crowning. But I swear this person and the expression on their face, it does look like maybe it is a wit it maybe it is like a toupee, but it's just it's and then there's a zoomed in picture and you're like that Megan would have to put on a ton of makeup to be this man with a she mustache. She was in but, California with the kids, you know, watching cartoons. Yeah, I mean, she but, is not yes. welcomed there, and I don't blame her for giving them the finger. And it's that that's that also is a part of the of the dysfunction of this family. Yeah. That is not a good look. All this great, you know, royalness, and he's a new king, and yippee, and. Uh, she was not treated well by them, and I don't blame her for staying home and, you know, not worrying about it. One more story that did not make many of the newscast was, uh, this is pretty pretty funny, King Charles' coronation serves as first gig for Harry's Garage Band with other neighborhood dads. Well, all right. No one saw that. Uh, <laughs> saying that the performance would add a dash of rock and roll to the regal procession. Royal sources announced that King Charles' coronation would also serve as the first gig for the garage band Prince Harry has formed with several other dads from California. Before Prince William pays the homage to his father, the new king, we're going to be treated to a quick set from Prince Harry and the Mystics. Who are on total play some rockin' covers and a few originals of their own, says Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. He told the crowd, uh, as the group influenced by songs from the 60s uh, would be setting up their equipment and plugging in their guitars. Uh, he says, I've heard they've improved a lot. And so what a, what a great place. Go ahead and give the boys a big welcome. <sighs> At press time, sources confirmed that, it, that Prince Harry was ecstatic, had received an email booking the band for a Santa Barbara block party when he gets back home. <laughs> That's funny. Well, That's obviously bullshit, but it was still funny. Well, I, you know, Queen Mary did the same thing with uh, Johnny and the Silver Troubadour, so I don't see why not. <laughs> I don't see why... They couldn't fit all of this in. Uh, other events. Let me see. Oh, this I thought was, I don't know what this says about culture and about uh, the view of the royals and their associations with stuff. I thought this was just tackier than hell. American Idol. King Charles and uh, Camilla crashed the party with Katy Perry Lionel Richie, who performed at the gig, they had them on, I guess they were live or something, or they taped it, uh, but, the, but the show got a sleepy hello from Windsor Castle. The ABC competition returned on Sunday night for their live coast-to-coast -coast broadcast, which top eight singers gave performances of blah, blah, blah. Before the show began, uh, Miss Perry and Mr. Richie video chatted into the broadcast from Windsor Castle to say hello to the contestants. Then they also brought in special guests, and it was the new King of England and uh, the Queen, whatever her name, whoever she is, Camilla. And they spoke and waved, and it was far out. So, isn't that kind of weird, Donald? That's weird. I don't yeah. want a place to show it up. Kind of just it kind of uh, demeans the entire you know royalness yeah. of the whole thing. And on American Idol. I know. Okay. Okay. How did, well, yeah. I, I, don't, I just think it's tacky, uh, but I think the whole the whole show's tacky. So, that's just me. Um, the Derby from Louisville, the 149th Kentucky Derby, has come and gone after a really rough week at Churchill Downs, where seven horses uh, died. Um, some of them on the track which is, is, is always a really ugly thing to see. Mm -hmm. I've been there once when somebody uh, did go down, oh. and it is it is brutal. They have to bring out sheets and, and partitions to cover up the entire thing. And then, and, uh, then there, But there were seven horses, uh, two from races, at the track last week. And one of the owners, I can't think of his name and don't care, was the owner of two of those horses, and then two more were thought to be uh, problematic. 
So they scratched his horse and he was uh, barred from the track and so on and so forth. All of that aside, uh, up right toward the beginning of the race, which was at 5.57 our time, although they were late, the, um, my son and I went down to the Gold Strike, and I'll say again what a, what a classy operation that is, and it was really um, well handled. Forte, who was the favorite in that race, was scratched. Uh, about four hours before the race, which changed everybody who was making their little bets and planning, because he was he was the uh, crowd favorite and the uh, betting favorite, and so he was tossed, and so we had to go back and you know change your little. And I talked about this last week, as I do every year, about trifecta betting, and that means you take three horses and for six dollars you put them in a trifecta box. And if those three come in in, in in any order, you win whatever the trifecta is paying. Now, what it pays is based upon the odds of the horses that are in the top three. So I made my notes, and my little paper is right here. I have, I'm made and scratched and crossed out and did and did and did. And one of the last ones that I wrote down was 3814. And I transferred that to the Derby sheet at the track. And it was the last trifecta box that I bet. So my son and I come back here and get all of our stuff laid out. We're ready to go. We're all, all fired up. And they take off. And um, a beautiful race. Uh, they, they, they were all safe. The crowd there was 150,000 people. That's a wow. lot for the Derby. And so we watched them. And you can't always tell. Um, from the silks and the numbers, who has just won? And so we're looking and I say, who, who won this gosh dang race? That's <laughs> not what I said. but um, And I look up and the horse known uh, as Mage, M-A-G-E, won the Derby, a 15 to 1 shot. And he was followed by uh, two fills and... Where did the, who the, this other horse, I can't even remember who, uh, Angel of Empire was third. Uh, two fills was four to one. I'm not sure about, anyway, so I looked down at my tickets. I'm going, shit, I didn't win anything. And I grabbed the last ticket laying on my couch across, and it said, trifecta box, $6 bet, three, eight, 14. And I uh, thought, I've got this. I've got this. Well, NBC, for some reason, messes around and talks and stuff and goes to their, their uh, break and doesn't ever show what the payout is. <laughs> like, oh, come on. Put the People aren't at home to watch these broads in their hats. Show how much people <laughs> yeah. just won. And they come back, and it's up there, trifecta betting, and it paid $986.17. Nice. Awesome. So, let me see here. I, I've got, yeah, 3814 total six bucks. And it paid almost $1,000. So I guess I'll not cash it. I'll just frame it. <laughs> yeah, right. So, anyway, that was fun. That was fun. No, uh, and I and don't, so West I, and them, what? I texted you. I don't, we, we just kind of play bet with each other at home when not money and just kind of call it. And so I think I told my husband t two, three and seven because Velasquez was on number seven. And I thought, you know, he'll, he'll do something. Reincarnate, and, but I, had yeah. to, I had to rewind the darn thing of the jockeys introducing themselves about five times to see who was wearing what color. Cause you're right. You can't, I can't see the numbers. I can't, I got to like it's memorize really people's hat color as they're riding by or whatever, but well, it was uh, nice to see no rain there too. It, it is so gorgeous to watch this as they take off and they, mm -hmm. it's a mile and, a, and a, a quarter and nothing really happens until they make that last turn down the stretch. And it just, it just gives you chills because mm -hmm. they're all in kind of a pack still, except for the two or three stragglers that are already out and have given up. But, 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 but the, all, all three here that were on, you know, that, that were there at the end we're kind of in the middle of the pack because you don't ask the horse to run until you get right there down to the 
down to that stretch. And then uh, just to watch that unfold is a beautiful thing to see. They were all kind of in the middle of the pack. The 14 was on the rail, and suddenly he's on the outside out of nowhere. That's why these these uh, jockeys are thought by some to be, be the world's best athletes. You are guiding this huge beast yeah. through 19, 20 other horses, and it's hard to do. It's a, This is an, is an art form and a sport form. It's a, But to watch all three of them put themselves in a position to win is really just amazing. And so Mage won that race by a head. They were really close, but um, it's a beautiful sport. The Preakness is coming up on May 20th in Baltimore. And then the uh, Belmont Stakes will be, I think it's June 10th in New York. So if you won money at the Derby, nice going. It is so much fun. It's it's even funner when you win. I bet. <laughs> Congrats. So I was pretty stoked, man, about that. Uh, what else have we? There's just so many things here going on. Let's see. Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. I see those names and the people that want to rock and hear about rock stuff. Wes can now tell them what this is. I, don't, I have no idea what this story means. Uh, they are seen in this trailer for a movie about the hypnosis people. Those are the guys that uh, made probably some of the most famous album covers ever in the history uh-huh. of rock and roll. Movie okay. is called Squaring the Circle, the story of oh, hypnosis. Cool. It's H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S because you've right. got to have your, your thing. And it's leading, it says, artist here, Storm Thurgeson and Audrey Aubrey Powell. They're the pair and it, that did so much. They're, they designed the Prism cover for the Pink Floyd album. They designed albums for Led Zeppelin, for Paul McCartney, Peter Gabriel, and a bunch of other people. And they, uh, this is their story about how they did it and how they produced these visuals and uh, what things were like for them sitting right in the middle of you know, rock and roll in the 70s and dealing with all these acts. There's clips in there. Uh, talking about how Robert Plant is in there saying how these two came as a double act and that uh, the Roger David, sorry, David Gilmore says that they were always off the wall doing the unexpected. And if Pink Floyd didn't take one of their ideas from this box of ideas, they would send them, they would end, end up seeing them recycled on someone else's album cover you know, later that year or the next year or sometime. Huh. <laughs> it says uh, the narrator of the, trailer says during this period record companies didn't dictate to acts like this about what their lp covers should look like storm and poe did hmm. the two artists hmm. i'm so, surprised by that because labels just don't know when to go away well mm-hmm. I, I guess the hypnosis people made enough of a name for themselves that the labels just signed off on whatever the band signed off on whatever these two guys presented to so them. the artist had the last word then they put the final touch on it and that was it right exactly that it says where they would come to them with here's some ideas for the album cover you know take a look and then they would pick, the band would pick what they liked best, and then they would go off and, like you said, finish it off, put in the details. Interesting. Yeah. And it is a documentary or a movie or... It is a documentary, it says, Squaring the Circle, the Story of Hypnosis. It's going to be in the theaters coming up in June. H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S. Yeah. Not how it's spelled right. Okay. Um, What what did Gene Simmons do? I I saw this, and I figured, why not? What's the story? He played a solo show with Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer Saturday in Vegas. It was a weekend-long VIP event, an evening with Gene Simmons. Not wearing makeup and stuff, I assume. No, not. Uh, At the Rio Hotel and Casino. It's home of the place you want to go, Kiss World Museum, and Mm -hmm. Kiss by Monster Mini Golf Course. Uh, You could win (laughs) dinner. You could get dinner with him at the top floor Voodoo Steakhouse. Items handpicked from his personal collection and an intimate performance with the Gene Simmons band. It only cost you $4,955. I wish we could define intimate performance. Uh, So say again what it cost. Well, it's it's at a casino, so it can't be that big of a room. $4,955. To be near Gene and watch him play after you have dinner, and he... Oh, okay. Well... Yeah. 
I don't know I don't why know. He's, he he isn't doing it for the money. He's I don't know if he's trying to be a nice guy in his old age or I don't know. I have no idea how any of this works, but good for him. Um, what is the story about Alex Lifeson and Rush? This sounds interesting and maybe troubling for Wes. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's kind of speculation, but it's Alex Lifeson's uh, uh, somebody in his band uh, is saying maybe Getty Lee and and, uh, and he will reunite. Maybe something is is underway. It's a new interview with Andy Curran. Do you know who that is, Wesley? Yeah. Uh, a former West member Lodge. of a former member of Coney Hatch who works with Lifeson on, in Envy of None. Right, that's the band well, that uh, Alex started working with last year. Yeah, so he, he was asked what he thought about a potential reunion. He said, well, I'm going to answer in two ways. I'm going to say that I hope they do, as a Rush fan. I hope those boys do because I see there's a lot of race left in both of those horses. Those guys are extremely creative guys. I'd be shocked if they didn't do something together. That's maybe the hopeful side of me. But he went on to say, I do know that Getty's spending a lot of time on other projects. Just announced release of his book, his memoirs. He's got a TV show he's working on. Alex is an avid golfer. I think that uh, they're both enjoying time away uh, from all this in a very sort of, you know, like as opposed to the write, tour, record, tour, rinse, and repeat. So it's not um, really, it's kind of his speculation. Yeah. But I just is, can't imagine, and Wes can probably echo my sentiment, that, uh, that Alex and Getty would ever do anything um, like play any tunes by Rush without the guy that was the centerpiece of the entire band being dead. I just, that, yeah. that somehow as a trio, when that, that, that gigantic piece isn't there, there's just no way to emulate that at all. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. They, they have said that they might do some kind of thing. They would never call it rush. Mm -hmm. uh, they have shown up. They showed up at both of the concerts for Taylor Hawkins and yeah. played a couple oh, of Rush right. tunes yeah. with the all of the uh, band that was there. Huh. So they and they may continue to do a couple of things like that. And uh, uh, is it Getty? Uh, Getty has said that you know he talks to Alex like every other day or so because they're still just great friends. Yeah. And I think they may be enjoying their general retirement at this point, though. Yeah, this maybe. Maybe. This is the 50th anniversary of the debut album, so maybe that's what that's what this what else got this guy talking is that he thinks if there's if there's a, if there's ever going to be a time, then maybe you know now since it's the 50th. Well, anniversary, well I don't know. John Rutsey's dead too. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, this guy is also dead, and I don't know. Uh, um, do either of you know who John Wetton is? No, I don't know. That's what I thought. Um, <laughs> he is most well known as being the lead singer of Asia, okay. and I can't—I'll never forget when that album came out in the early '80s, and I heard "Heat of the Moment," and I thought, "Wow, who is this?" And it was a fantastic first album. Great band. John Wetton was the lead singer, uh, and there's a book coming out about his life, John Wetton, An Extraordinary Life. The book celebrates his life. Uh, he passed away several years ago. It's a hardback book created with input from John's family and his management. Available in two editions, a classic retail book at 39 bucks, and the other one that is signed by John's widow and son for 10 more, no, for four more dollars. Is it worth that? The book features contributions from many of those who worked with him, and I had no idea he had been in and out of these bands. He, he played bass and sang with King Crimson um, and Uriah Heep, Wishbone Ash, Roxy Music, and in Asia, as mentioned, with uh, Jeff Downs hmm. uh, in that band. So the book features contributions from Downs, uh, Bill Bruford from Yes, Robert Fripp, Carl Palmer, Rick Wakeman, Phil Manzanera, Steve Hackett, and Steve Howe. So if you are a prog rock fan and uh, liked any of those bands from those eras, John Wetton's book, and nobody knows who the guy is. Maybe the English, maybe older fans of that kind of music will know, but he was a really nice man. I met him once, and they were a great band live, and... 
uh, he's been he's been he's been gone. So I don't. This isn't on a major publisher. So we're gonna have to find out um, what and how they 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 promote this and what it will what it will do. I also found this over the weekend, and I think it's. Um, it's a little interesting. Well, no, it's is very interesting. Uh, Amazon's thirtieth anniversary. That cough. That, that kind of caught huh. me off too. Okay. Gosh. The yeah. first thing that I ever knew about Amazon was that they sold books, mm-hmm. and um, I guess we all feel a little bit guilty uh, about watching bookstores across America and this area shut down because it was easier for us to buy one online and have it in the next you know, a few days. And as a result, the bookstores of this country have shut down the independent ones. Some remain like square books down in uh, Oxford, Oxford, um, novel here, books, books. There are some that have survived the purge of the past, I guess, 30 years. And, uh, this author writes this story she says that her first Amazon book purchase was called Online Dating, What You Need to Know in 1996. <laughs> okay. She says it was for research purposes only. Sure. Really, she says. Um, the top 10 best-selling books on Amazon is what I thought was remarkably interesting. It just is a a cross section of America and tastes, or lack of taste. But here are the books. I'm going to go from the bottom up. Okay. okay. Uh, number ten is a book called The Shack, which I remember. I think I read it. I think it's here someplace. William P. Young, a self-published book that made its way into the top. It's it is number ten all time on Amazon. The Help was a very popular book and a movie, uh, a novel about black maids in the 60s South. Right. Number eight of all time, and in part because it was required reading in high schools, uh, I guess, all across the country and perhaps uh, beyond. I'm surprised that more books like this didn't make the top ten, but this one, To Kill a Mockingbird, Mm -hmm. is number eight. And there's no way to argue about that. That's one of the books that is now being banned. And the uh, paradox therein isn't even worth going into. Uh, Number seven, a little bit of a surprise, but I read it a long time ago. It became a major motion picture, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Great book and a movie with, was it Ben Affleck? I think so. I can't think of her name. Uh, number six, The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Ah. It was a Yahweh, a, y- a, y- a YA novel, Yah, about love and loss. <laughs> number five, I tried to read this. I couldn't get into it. Uh, the movie was even worse. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, yeah. Big Larson. And this book spawned a few sequels. And I, I just, I, I never could grasp it. Some folks loved it. Number four, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. That was a big deal. The first book in a trilogy that launched the hit movies too. Number three, uh, this is the most poppy of the pop fiction books on the list that some people thought was very compelling. It spawned a few sequels as well. I think I tried to read it, and I don't know. I just couldn't hang. Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. Oh, The okay. International oh, yeah. Mystery that Combined History, Art, and Suspense. And the movie with Tom Hanks was just awful, as I remember just from looking back at that. But I just, I couldn't get into it, and I tried. Sometimes these books that are, that are you know, scooped up by all these people I, I either um, ignore them on purpose because I figure if that many people like them, I'm going to hate it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. arrogant. I just, I'm just choosy about what I pick usually. But when something is so big, I figure it's just not going to appeal to me, which may be wrong. 
Number two, which is the most annoying book on the list, just because of how badly written it was, uh, but it appealed especially to women. Oh, that's stupid, stupid. Oh, really? Whatever. That really says something about the lack of, uh, of a discernment in what you choose to read and why you choose to read what you read. This was a, was a sex-filled romp of the passages that I read because it, it was mocked so badly mm-hmm. online for how horrible it was is number two on the all-time list, which just shows you the obsessions that people have about the most intimate of things. Uh, the parts that I saw were just pure crap. And adults I, only roam it. It, it. it wasn't titillating. It wasn't sexy. It was just fucking stupid. Um, I don't know who read it. E.L. James is her name, and she 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 can't write. Well, and that wasn't the point, maybe. I, I don't know. She she was her story. She wrote fan fiction for Twilight, yeah. and oh, yeah. reworked it to a original story that could be published, and got this from it. Well, she got rich. Yeah, and people <laughs> read a a bad tacky book. That's just my opinion. Number one, out of 30 years of online Amazon book sales, anybody care to render a guess? Uh, Twilight. <laughs> no, you're not. It's in the same kind of oh, great. Harry, realm. Harry Potter or something. Harry Potter and the Deathly Shallows. Hallows. Hallows, Hallows, yeah. Hallows, Hallows. whatever. By J.K. Rowling, the okay. the last book in the Harry Potter series shattered sales records. Never okay. read it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Did you read those books, Wes? Oh yeah, I I read them. I I have them on a shelf, not here, but in the other room. So there, that's a really interesting mix, isn't it? Of a top yeah, ten look at yeah. best of, of the most books sold. I'm not surprised yeah. that it seems to be contemporary heavy yeah because more people have gotten used to doing that as time has gone by so i guess what the oldest book on there it might be the mockingbird is 19 or mockingbird yeah yeah, you're right there's uh the help 15 20 years old maybe uh the shack uh I, i can't put a finger on that the fault in our stars i'm not sure dragon tattoos about 20 years old Hunger Games, uh, the past couple of decades. Da Vinci Code, that's probably more like 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, Mockingbird is the only true classic on this list. So um, that one was top 10. That is what it, that's what America reads. And there has to be a bigger breakdown of this somewhere. But Yeah, I'm sure. I was going to sure say, if there's a list of 100, I wonder if Stephen King is on there anywhere. Uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, the shining you might think, or maybe Carrie, or I saw a story this morning that I did not keep, uh, about the 10 short stories or books by Stephen King that should have been movies and that in fact have been picked up at one time or another and then not made. And then some of them have been picked up again to be turned into movies. So King is on there, no doubt. The uh, second 10, I wonder about that, about how many people um, bought other things. Then I also found this, as we mentioned, uh, Stephen King. Dangerous literature, 10 high school books that have no place in modern education. This is, who's the chick that wrote? This is an article, it does not quote a news source but this lady and oh. it's a slideshow so bear with me oh great okay number one my fifth grade teacher read this to our class survival type by stephen king the narrator is a drug smuggler who crashes his plane on an island he ends up uh he he does all the heroin on the plane and cannibalizes himself oh gosh. well that's 
great uplifting uh, stuff for young for minds. fifth graders, yeah. That's, you know, now that one I can see maybe being a little inappropriate, but, you know, banning books, if the teacher chose this, that's on her. The 20 pages that cover the most, you know, horrible and mind-blowing of things to fifth graders is mentioned here as just being, you know, um, way too much for kids that age. The other ones here, A Day No Pigs Would Die. Never heard of it. Robert Newton Peck. This was pretty rough in sixth grade. It is kind of like Charlotte's Web with hauntingly graphic depictions of animal husbandry and slaughter. Gosh. Yes. All right. Okay. That doesn't sound like something very much fun either. Uh, the Bluest Eye, Tony Morrison, celebrated uh, writer. I, it, this does not say why the book is so traumatic. I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, so this blew some kids' minds, and I don't know what the deal was. This one, I'm not sure to take exception with or not. Uh, and Wes can read it. Sid may have done it back in high school. George Orwell's 1984. Yeah, we had to read that. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, it was pretty scary, and he was off by about 20 years, maybe. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. uh, a, th- 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 this says it was a, a, bit t- uh, a bit intense for nine-year-olds. Nine-year-olds? Oh, yeah. How did somebody give we... them this book? Yeah, I read it I as know. a freshman. Yeah, we probably, yeah, ni- yeah ninth or 10th. Yeah, 84 and Animal old. Farm were both, you know, classics for all time. But does the Orwellian look at the future, uh, is it a smart pick for nine-year-old kids? Maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> okay, so poor old George. Uh, not appropriate for third graders. Uh, let's see. Uh, this book, I have no idea. A Child Called It by Dave Pelzer. Um. Uh-huh. Doesn't really explain why it is inappropriate. Caught in the act, Joan Lowry Nixon. Uh, it's an utter disdain for injustice and arrogant adults. It taught me early the importance of self-advocacy and sticking to the truth and not giving in to gaslighting. Uh, why that's bad, I don't know. Yeah. But it made somebody nervous. The Kite Runner was a a gigantic book. And The Kite Runner is the only book I've read, says one person, to stop reading. I, I, I had to put it down because it shook me so hard. I, I read that book a long time ago and I did not remember being traumatized. Oh, it was it was pretty intense. But that book sold a lot of copies to a, a, for the entire world uh, and was a, a big hit. What's um, it about? Uh, there are some graphic scenes of a little boy uh, in it, um, uh, it isn't appropriate for a child, and even some adults say that they could not take uh, the message inside. Yeah. Down to the last few, I don't know this book, but I am intrigued enough by some of these books, I want to buy them. Uh, this guy that wrote The Kite Runner also wrote A Thousand Splendid Sons, Khalid Hosseini. Um, this one apparently was as upsetting to some as as was the A Kite Runner. Uh, It's heartbreaking, a gorgeous book, but traumatic. And so I guess that they are referring, uh, all these books are are back to grade school kids. Grade school kids, I don't know how they could ever keep up with or grasp The Kite Runner. I, I don't know. It does seem inappropriate to cram this stuff down their throat. 1984, I think, would probably give you a pretty... Uh, you know, grim view of what's coming down the pike. If you're nine years old, that's probably a bit much, but yeah, who knows? Yeah. Now, this one I could not disagree with anymore. One of my favorite books ever that I read as a, as a kid, Flowers for Algernon, was a book that became a movie called Charlie. And the actor, I can see him in, in my mind, it was a a beautiful but a heart heart heartbreaking a piece of work it's about 
the main character who is mentally retarded. He is um, extremely uh, incapable of doing much for himself. Um, who's the actor who played this role? I can see his face in this movie. Charlie was the book. And doctors find a treatment, either it's a pill or medication, that they give to him to treat him for this his uh, severe handicap in his brain. And as the book evolves, this medication works. And he becomes highly intelligent and finds love and is capable of love. And he is an entirely different person until the medication stops working and he slowly reverts back to what he had been before. It's it's very sad and very touching, but it was a, a, a fantastic book. Uh, Algernon was his mouse. He had a, a, a pet oh. mouse. And who's the actor? Did you find it? Is is the movie called Charlie? Because there's a, there's a guy whose name I can't pronounce. Dilker Salman. The movie. Now, That's not the movie's make, name, is it? Let me make sure. The book. Uh, He's an Indian actor. No. Okay. Um, the book is called Flowers for Charlie. No. Oh, Flowers. Sorry. Flowers. Flowers for Algernon. Algernon. And why can't you just tell me the name of the gosh damn movie? Charlie Gordon is the, um, uh, come on, man. The book is called Charlie, C-H-A-R-L-Y, 1968. Matthew Modine. No, 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 no. It was, he wasn't even born yet. Um. Uh, what happens in the in the movie? Uh, Charlie is mentally handicapped. All he wants in life is to be a genius. He takes the chance, but he must adjust emotionally when a lab experiment raises his 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 IQ to amazing levels. Now there is Matthew Modine. I'm having to assume they remade this movie. Um, so that. Oh, okay, that's maybe, yeah, because this is him. the year 2000, um, it says. Yeah, well, no, that's, that. I didn't sorry. know they had remade that. Uh, I'm going to find this out, <laughs> how long it takes. Well, the, yeah, the Modine movie was from 2000. Mm-hmm. There's a 68 film Cliff called Robertson. Charlie. Okay. Cliff Robertson played it in the original film in 1968. Claire Bloom, uh, Dick Van Patten, it was a fantastic piece of work and the book is even better why it's banned out of all these that are banned that's the one that i don't know why it's an incredible tale it's really sad but it's also um not worth being banned so anyway it's not banned it's just there this on- list of books was those that were that might not have been given to an eight-year-old kid that's the whole point of that deal yeah so hmm. okay all right coming up here in a minute uh i want to uh, there's a new uh, podcast, music cast that I do called Between the Grooves. And this week, since uh, it is late spring, early summer, the spring was kind of a rough time for our plants and our flowers, but they are blooming uh, everywhere and it's um, getting hot. And so here comes summer. So the theme of the one today or for this week is flowers. Um, uh, songs about flowers, in, and there's about eight in a row about roses, which around here on our property have been popping up, exploding on various bushes. So that's coming up after this program. I want to thank our friend Alan at his shop. Alan's Automotive is on Winfield, Whitehaven, and South Haven. He took care of my wife's car last week. A little brake issue, had to uh, replace some little things and do this to the transmission and all of that stuff. It was done in about two days, and the car is, well, it's old, but it, it runs runs fantastic. So thank you, Alan, and his uh, buddy James and our the other guys there that take care of our vehicles every day. 332-3279 is where you find Mr. Alan. And you better get over there and, uh, well, call him first 
and make an appointment. He will take care of all of your needs, or your cars, your trucks, and he can uh, do it for you as he has us for a long time. He's on Facebook and his own website, Allen's Automotive. We thank you, kind sir, for your help. Uh, also, thanks to our friends. I was in there over the weekend. I was out of my B-stress complex. Gotta have that. So I popped into Wholesale Nutrition and uh, got some stuff there and saw them and bought a smoothie from the smoothie bar, which was fantastic. They have so many different choices for those things. Weight gain, weight loss, energy. The menu is long, long, long. But all of these things, all their offerings are on their website, wholesalenutrition.com. Even better, go in the store and you'll find things that uh, pique your interest and you can ask them if anything is ailing you in particular, ask them. And, and they have just all kind of things to work with what ails you. WholesaleNutrition.com. They're on Goodman Road in South Haven between Get Well and Chulahoma. Great store. Wonderful staff of smart, nice people. Go see them. All right. The, the um, music cast coming up in a little bit. Well, actually, uh, probably right now. See you later.